the season is incredibly busy, though, isn't it? Our, our calendars get filled, and, and you think of a life that I, I think this, the things get so busy that we can crowd out those things that God wants and desires for our, our lives. Two weeks ago, we began a series called Make Room. And uh, the first week we said, make room for generosity. It, it, he invites us to use our money, our time, our possessions, our talents. He, he wants us to be, he wants to use us to, as conduits into people's lives. And uh, we actually encouraged uh, doing this by, we handed out $2,500 of $100 bills. And by the way, some of you didn't turn in your little slip there. We just want to hear from you as to what, how God used that in somebody else's life. But a week ago, we, we said this, make room for strangers. And it's the idea that God invites us to look up and look around and go, who's new, who's Matter of fact, who is who are people that I don't know that God you might be putting in front of our doors, and that we we are called to invite them into our lives. And yeah, it's a busy time of the year, but I think people are probably uh, more open to some things this time of the year than ever before. By the way, that that idea of hospitality, biblical hospitality, we think of it in terms of inviting each other over that we know, and that's really not biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality is literally the love of strangers, and that's a call in our lives. But to begin today, I need to go back to the song that we ended with here. O come, O come, Emmanuel. I don't know if you realize it, it's actually a reference to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew explains that. It means God with us. But another phrase, you'll notice the second phrase, if you remember that, ransom captive Israel. It's a reference, actually, to Isaiah 35 and Jeremiah 20, or 31. And in those texts, the two prophets are talking about Israel being in captivity and how God needs to work to bring them out from under the rule of Babylon. Now, you've got to catch this, is that Israel was a defeated nation back then, and that they speak of God's redemption and the work that God has to do in order for Israel to be physically restored again. But we recognize that happened. It did happen. But one of the nuances to that is Israel really wasn't restored spiritually. They continued to not walk toward God. And matter of fact, history continues in that. If you remember, we think of the birth of Jesus. You understand, for 400 years before that point, the prophets were silent. 400 years of silence where God really didn't speak into their lives as a nation. And you come up to the time of the birth of Jesus, and there was this place where the nation was discouraged. They were back under the the rule of Rome. And so Rome was crushing them, and, and, and they were, there was frustration, there was anger. So the attitude of their mind is that this, I, they just didn't have a whole lot of hope. At the time of Christ, there was discouragement even in their lives. But apply that even to our lives even here today. Isn't it true for us that this can be a time of the year where actually hope begins to fade for many people? 
the title of the sermon, if you're following along in the notes, I actually left it off intentionally there. That whole idea here that make room for hope. Are you making room for hope? Leave home room for hope today. But think about, again, what fills our schedules here. This, this last week before Christmas, man, buying Christmas gifts, worrying about wrapping of those gifts, wondering if you got just the right thing for those people. But let me play a, a short video that speaks to our sermon today in Make Room for Hope. Let's play that video. toy I hope that's not my wife after Christmas here gift but 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 here's the challenge have you ever gotten a gift that you unwrap and you didn't like it now let me qualify that how about the gifts that we get they're not physical gifts they're the gifts that life bring us, and we look at them and we go, I don't want that. I, I want something else. We unwrap that item and we realize this isn't something that's going to give us joy. It's not going to give us any sense of satisfaction. See, the fact is that we live in a world that's broken. And we have a world that gives us gifts. I have a little box here. I use the Christmas child box. But when you think of the gifts that are given to us in our lives, and we open that gifts, and at certain times of the year, we have these, we pull out these different things in our lives. And I got to get the get my gifts out here. And what if we get a gift of an illness? or pain, or, or cancer. And we go, we don't want that gift. God, would you give me something different than that? But what if we get a gift like something like this? Spiritual rebellion, apathy. As we watch our kids move toward a direction and we go, they're not moving toward Christ, and they're moving away from Christ. What do we do as parents? It could be even older people, kids that are married. What if they're not walking toward Jesus? What do we do with that particular gift? Or, or maybe it's this one. What if we have a stuck marriage or a broken marriage? 
That's the gift that's unwrapped, and we see that. You understand, there's countless more gifts that we could have. You think of infertility or a miscarriage or things that go on in our lives. The fact that we live in a world where things that are given to us, we really don't like. See, and the fact is that as we approach, folks, as we approach Christmas, this is a time of year where oftentimes hopelessness sets in. And and we want something different. See, we say Merry Christmas, but it really isn't that merry. Now, some of you are are saying maybe this, I'm, I'm sure glad that's not me. I got hope, and can I be fairly pointed at you of going, then God wants to use you. He wants to use you to be an expression of hope toward other people, to give hope, real hope to others that may need it. Or maybe you need to do this if this if you have hope right now. You just need to think back to the circumstances in our lives that maybe you have been in the past and you realize there were points in our lives where we didn't have hope. And what did we do with those times? See, no one really is immune from doubt and loss of hope. But if you're here today and you don't have joy, you, you actually are far away from hope. But oftentimes, catch this, what we end up doing first is we begin to do some soul searching. We dig within us and we think, I'm going, okay, why? What's going on here, God? And when you think of the wonderings, let me just give you some pieces. If you're following along in the notes, I said it this way. When hopelessness hits, here's where people can go. Maybe there's sin in my life. See, when the events that were what we don't like is unwrapped, isn't what we want. Lord, are you punishing me? What did I do wrong? And here's the truth. God does sometimes discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12. It's because he loves us that he disciplines us. So it's possible that it might be this aspect. But maybe there's a second one. Maybe you think like this. Maybe I'm just living an undisciplined life see i'm the reason that my life isn't working see sometimes our choices really aren't best and that's the truth as well that we we there's consequences to just poor choices but how about a third one what if we come to this conclusion maybe it's spiritual warfare that's why i'm so discouraged and truth here is I've known people where there's been demonic oppression going on and it can be really real as well but maybe it's another one here maybe I have a psychological issue you know what I'm I'm struggling with depression or something else and now I understand at times people need to go to a counselor and figure out what's going on. But, but I, I think this, there's great stigma within the church that somehow we're not strong enough so we don't ever go talk to anybody about it. Or maybe there's another one. Maybe it's something biochemical going on. There's biology to it. You know, I have a, a very good friend, doesn't live in the areas out of, out of state here, but 
he struggles with depression deeply. But guess what? Almost everybody in his family struggles with it as well. So it's a real possibility. There are some connections there to the biology of the world in which we live as well. But having said all those things, I think there's something that we need to do, and it's to stop and ask a very significant question. Because God wants to do some work in our lives. And the question, this key question is this, what if God is intentionally allowing the hard stuff to be his gift for us? Now, that's a thought that I find that many people struggle with. And they want to put kind of the finger, la, 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 la. No, I don't want to even think about that thought. That God actually might be gifting these things to us. See, here's where we go, though. We want to ask, God, why? And maybe we're asking the wrong question. We're asking God, God, but what is your plans here? What do you want? See, I think it's an issue, there's an issue that God invites us to move toward, and I think it's critical in terms of moving toward a place where we have real hope. Let me give you this key issue here in terms of God working. First of all, for your notes, don't let loss become the defining moment in your life. And you see this oftentimes when the people, if there are people that describe their lives, they look at the event and go, that's my life. That's where life is just chaos right now, and it describes my life. But what if that second part was true? Instead, we would allow God to work so our response becomes the defining moment in our lives. What if we could have such a God-centered response where when we look at the events like illness or relational pain or cancer or the death of a loved one or fill in the blank to any other thing, but our response to those things becomes a pivotal moment in our spiritual development in our lives where we can look back to that event and say, this event was the gift, but the response was the most important thing of what God was doing and working in my life. But to go to that place, here's what must happen. We must leave room for the building block of God's hope, if that's ever going to happen. To say it another way, we can't control the loss, but we can have a say in the response and allow God to be working in the response to the event, to the gift that we do not like. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15 this morning. I'm going to focus in on just one verse, but I want to give you the context, and I want to begin reading at verse 4, and then we're going to skip to 8 and go through 13. But look how it reads here, Romans chapter 15. For whenever, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This book 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice. O Gentiles, with his people, and again praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol you. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles have hope. Now look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, 15 and 16 are the closing arguments for the whole book of Romans. And one of the nuances to even what we just read, it's idea there that the Gentiles are also receiving this profound, profound gift of salvation and they're putting their faith in Christ and, and, and understand that that's the Gentiles and the Jews and how that works together is one of the key aspects of the book of Romans. But he comes to verse 13 and this is actually a prayer that Paul is praying for this church this group of people in Rome. So this is what he prayed for, that this group of people that are coming to faith in Jesus, that they're living, you have to recognize though, that they're living in an incredibly difficult world. And he wants them to experience hope. Now, remember the backdrop of Rome and the time of what's going on. Great persecution. Folks, the government was coming down against the Christians. The Jews were against the Christians of that day. They were living like aliens in that world. They just didn't fit. And if you were to describe a word of really what was the essence of their lives, it was this, suffering. Suffering was their definition to life. That was the gift that they had, and it just kept giving. Gift after gift for these people at that time of the early church, they were suffering because they were following Jesus. But do you need to catch this? Paul didn't want the suffering to be the defining moment in the life of this church. He wanted their response to the suffering to be the defining essence of who they are as a church. And so he prays for them. Look at it again. Let me put it with bigger words even on the screen. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, let me throw you a question. Does that verse, does this verse behind me does it describe you today? Can each of us say here today that my life is filled with joy and peace in believing and that right now that my life is abounding in hope? Now, here's, I think, how we work sometimes. 
there are times when we talk ourselves into something that we are not. So let me rephrase the question. Would my family, would my friends, would my children describe this verse for me and for you? Even if you have adult kids, older kids, would they describe this as our lives? That our, There's a peace and joy and that it's abounding in hope as I'm walking through this world. Now, now here's what I suspect through varying degrees that we all fall short in experiencing some of this hope. But my hope today is that you would want these three qualities and that you would need to see that you need an abundance of hope here today. Because when we unwrap the gifts of life, those things that come, they come they're hard. They're discouraging. But if we don't move toward a certain direction, discouragement sets in. Hope is lost. And let me state this. At this time of the year, more hope is lost for the world around us than at any other time. You know, the sales of antidepressant drugs and those things go up. They skyrocket at this time of the year. I had a good friend who was a drug rep and, and sold a lot of those drugs. And he goes, best time of the year, sells it more. These two months, he said, it's unbelievable the amount of sales that they go through. See, the challenge, what do we do when the gifts of life that we unwrap, we don't like? Let me just read you some stats just to point out the reality of our day. Diagnosed depressive disorders affect approximately 9.5% of the U.S. population age 18 and older in any given year. Preschoolers are the fastest growing market for antidepressants. At least 4% of preschoolers are clinically depressed. 30% of women say they're depressed. Men's figures previously thought to be half of women. Those estimates are much higher. 15% of depressed people will commit suicide. Depression will be the second largest killer after heart disease by 2020. And studies show depression is a contributing factor to fatal coronary disease. Just reading those stats, you get depressed. See, being mired in hopelessness is not something that God desires for our lives. He wants to fill us with hope. But that's, again, different than just earthly happiness. But there's a belief. In order for us to move this direction that we must have if we're going to have this biblical hope. Let me just put a statement on the screen so you see it and hear it. We must believe that our benevolent Heavenly Father is looking to fill each of us with all joy and peace in believing so that each of us will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question before us is, do we believe that we have a loving, benevolent Heavenly Father is that who he is? Or is he a moral cop that loves or maybe some harsh father who loves to give us gifts that just torture us? 
See, the belief that we have about who God is makes a difference here profoundly. And the challenge, though, you, you throw on this kind of top of the, this uh, period of time, even this week before Christmas, you think of the scurrying that goes back and forth and the weight of Christmas, the weight of gifts, the weight of finances, all of that things, it just adds to the weight of hopelessness for so many people. I, I, you know, I, I think you know this, but if there was no Christmas we would not have any real hope. And without Emmanuel, God becoming man, the only thing, if that didn't occur, the only thing that we would be left with would be hope for hope's sake. Oh, I hope. We use that phrase so casually. There would be just hopelessness. See, without God becoming man, there would be no certainty of something different. But let me remind you of a couple things, and I think these are obvious from our our verse today, but just some reminders, I think, where we we need to just kind of soak in into our souls. And that first one for your notes, I said it this way, the source of this abundant hope is the God of hope. It's not the power of positive thinking. When it says that the God of hope, Paul is saying that God is the source and he's the giver and he is also the object of our hope. And do you believe this? Or do you think you have to will yourself up and kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go, I can make it, I can do it, I can get along, I'm I'm just going to be joyful today. Is that where you're at? Matter of fact, let me push a little farther. Look at Romans 15.5. I want to put this on the screen. We didn't read it. Another character quality of God. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord, accord with Christ Jesus. Here God is the God of that can give endurance and encouragement. So he's not only the God of hope, he's the God of endurance in the midst of receiving the wrong kind of presence that we do not like. Matter of fact, in chapter 16, I don't have time to go there, it says he is the God of peace, the God of peace, that he can give peace to people. So when we lack hope, we must run to the source of that hope. And and I want to show you Luke chapter 11. Really, it's a critical text here that points to, it's a teaching on prayer, but it points to this issue of hope even today. Look at verse 5. Then teaching them, this was Jesus, telling, teaching them more about prayer. He used this story. Suppose you want, went to a friend's house at midnight and wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the, for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you, but I tell you this, though he won't do it, wouldn't do it for its friends, friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. You want hope? You keep seeking the Father. 
You keep seeking the sun. Now, I, I think back, there's been times in my life of pretty deep discouragement. And looking back, I have to admit that when I look back, that for me at least, there was oftentimes there was a missing ingredient, and the missing ingredient was I was trying to figure it out on my own, and I really wasn't seeking Jesus. I, I wasn't persistently sitting at his feet and saying, fill me, give me hope. I was always trying to figure it out on my own. But the question here for us today, when we ask for that, do we do it just once or twice? And that if he doesn't respond at that point, we just begin to doubt God, that he really is the giver of hope? Folks, biblical hope is certain because it rests on the promises of God, and we've got to remember that. But let me point to another piece of of God being the source. In verse 13, it also points back to verse 12, actually. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but he's citing Isaiah there, and it says, In him shall the Gentiles have hope. Him, who's him? It's Jesus Christ. The promise of salvation to all people who believe in Jesus, that is where hope is found. It's really pointing to Christmas here even today, that root of Jesse. But we realize that no Christ, if there was no Christ, there's no Christmas. And if there's no Christmas, there is no real biblical hope. Maybe I should rephrase it and say this. Christmas without Christ and without salvation, one cannot have biblical hope. And this is where we need to realize the world in which we live. See, people can live in our, in our world and you look at them and you go, they got joy and I don't. They must be hopeful. But understand this, if they don't have Jesus, if they've never bowed before him and given their lives to him, they actually should be depressed. Because they can't have biblical hope. And they are going to be in for a very rude awakening when eternity is ushered in and they stand before God. They will not have hope ever. That's the reality of the world that we live in right now. And what does that mean then for us who do have hope to give it away? Do we just have earthly joy, earthly hope taking place right now? Um, Some of you maybe know the name Dave Barry. He's a humorist. He's written a bunch of books. I read one of his one time. But he wrote this particular book, and it said this, Stay fit and healthy until you're dead. (laughs) Keep exercising until you're dead. Okay, It's a tongue-in-cheek book. But here's a hard fact. 100%... It's 100% certain that you will die. No matter how fit and how healthy you are. Now, we, we could say, some of you are going, Ken, what about if Jesus' return? Okay, I'll acknowledge that. 
But see, the fact is, biblical hope says we even have hope beyond the grave. If we died today, we had a heart attack walking out or shoveling the, the snow in the cold, there's a hope. There's a hope. Do you have hope beyond the grave? Now, I, I wish I had time to do more digging on this issue of hope. I don't know if you realize that Romans, when the books of, that Paul wrote, Romans has more to do with hope than any other book that he's written. It's scattered throughout the whole book of Romans. But let me give you another reminder of this. He wants us to leave room for more than just hope. Look at this. The substance for this abundant hope is to be filled with all joy and peace. So he doesn't pray that they would have just a little bit of joy or a little bit of peace sprinkled in their life. No, it's overflowing with joy and peace that leads to abundant hope. He piles this on and he wants to give us peace and joy and when that begins to happen, our hope grows you want hope? You pray without ceasing. You ask God to even fill you to the brim with his joy and his peace. And it starts moving toward hope. Now the joy and the peace, I think, we've got to be careful. I think we look at some people who are very optimistic and they're kind of a bubbling personality and we go, oh, they got biblical peace and joy. I go, not necessarily. See, spiritual hope and peace and joy are qualities that aren't natural. They're not man-produced, I'm going to think positive, I'm going to be happy today. That's not biblical. Biblical hope does not come from easy circumstances. You can get biblical hope in the midst of gifts that you don't like. Matter of fact, biblical hope can happen when everybody around you in a depressing situation, they're depressed, you still can have hope and peace. But see, it leads us really to that third issue for us in, in verse 13. The means of this abundant hope is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working that gives a believer, fills a believer up with joy and peace in God and we got to ask, and yet, at the same time, you can have joy, peace, and biblical hope, and you can be sorrowful and even grieving at the same time. Do you understand the difference between biblical joy and that which is just, I'm going to have a positive attitude. But the Spirit wants to move and to give us and to push us away from hopelessness and away from fear, away from anxiety. But the greatest challenge that we have is that we believe lies. And one of the lies that people believe is this. My situation's different. And I deserve to be feeling hopeless. Or God's not good, really. Or I don't deserve this gift. Do you understand? Lies are from the evil one. 
from Satan. He wants us to throw lies at us so we wouldn't, we wouldn't run to Christ. That's why he wants to lie. He wants to shift us away from Jesus. I need to read something. Because when you ask the question, what does, what does it look like then to be filled with peace and joy and hope? And when, when the Holy Spirit, frankly, has done its work. Here's a couple statements. First, I think this, there's an inner delight that takes place in God and his promises. When you read his word, it goes, yeah, that's good. And there's a quiet comfort that takes over us. And there's a contentment in every trial. See, when one truly believes, when hope comes, when peace and joy, it's reflected in our disposition. Even outwardly, it begins to show. But let me just read more succinctly here. We believe that our sovereign God will work all things, including tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, houses that burn down. He will work together for our good because we love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 and verse 35 as well. When we truly believe that, that the sovereign God can take and weave the circumstances, the gift that we give, that we get, and he takes us and the response then begins to change us from the inside out. And God weaves that together for our good. And all of a sudden, crippling anxiety and fear begins to fade and hope grows. And trust in God grows. And we begin to see that he is a father who loves us profoundly. And we can have joy and hope in the midst of circumstances that we don't like and the gifts that we get. To close, let me just put that verse on the screen, verse 13 on the screen. May the God of hope fill you, fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, we, may abound in hope. So when you leave this place, seek Jesus. Tomorrow morning when you get out of bed, Run to God. The next day, you need to believe, you need to ask that he would fill you with joy and peace and hope. No matter what gift he gives you. He wants to give us hope in the midst of any circumstance, any trial, any sickness, any adversity. We can hope. Because he is the God of hope. I'm going to ask the elders to come on up. We're going to have communion today. And the fact exists here, folks, that this points to the hope. It points to a heavenly father who loved us so much that he gave his son 
born of a virgin to grow up and to die for us and pay the penalty for our sins. That's why we can have hope. Guys, would you hand out the bread? And just a reminder that I would ask you that you would just hold the bread. We want to partake of it together. It's just a symbolic understanding that we're in unity with Christ. But as you take the bread and just hold it there, ponder the hope that the Holy Spirit can give you. The joy and the peace that can wash over your life no matter what.